I don't know how he was on this TV show because I saw him die in Roadhouse. I assume that that is a documentary. Howdy. You're listening to Come and Take It, a talk show about Texas by Texans, where three friends born and raised in the Lone Star State share views on the history, culture, and just what it means to be Texan. I'm Mike Zolkowski. I'm Sean McIver. And I'm Scott Elpstrom. Walker, Texas Ranger. In 1993, a television event like no other premiered across America. Chuck Norris's family-friendly Texas Ranger show kick-punched its way into our collective hearts. Today, Come and Take It watches Season 1, Episode 1 of Walker, Texas Ranger. One Riot, One Ranger. But first, what's your favorite Texas-made condiment? Well, I'm going to go with uh, Imperial Sugar, made in Sugarland, Texas. Because uh, that is a condiment. Uh, close second would be Morton Salt, which is mined in a the giant salt dome in Grand Saline, Texas. Very nice. Um, I'll I'll allow it, but um, if I have a feeling, if I went to the judges, they would say that sugar and salt are not condiments. They are condiments. But, uh, they uh, are condiments. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I mean, a condiment really more. Anyway, you know what? Just let let him. Let them be. I will say that it, uh, Sugarland's a great city, and uh, it's it's exploded now and turned into a really big uh, suburb of Houston. But there's uh, you can still see the old uh, Imperial Sugar like factory and all the big storage stuff there. It's kind of neat. Uh, I'm going to go with the San Antonio native here. I'm going to shift it back to the spicy condiment. That means it's a sauce that you put on things to enhance the flavor. Maybe you just put it on a chip and eat it. Paste picante sauce, y'all. Get a rope. Uh, I like the medium and medium flavor with chunky, but you know everybody has their. You can go original, mild if you're lightweight. You can go for some some heat if you like. Nothing wrong with that. Paste picante sauce comes in the funky jar. Gotta love it. I I, I do. I I don't usually go with go for salsa because I don't like spicy things. But but the mild paste picante sauce on on uh, uh, breakfast tacos with the uh, eggs and bacon. It's pretty pretty darn good. Hey, hang on a second, Sean. Let me get my pen and write this down. Sean does not like something else that everybody else would eat normally. Got it. Yes. Got it. Yes. Got it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Indeed. This, I'm gonna be like look, the guy in Memento. I'm gonna like the guy in Memento with like <laughs> sharpie written notes all over my body about the things that you won't eat that normal people will. Well. The- Look, the, the the raccoons and the burning tires in my... Skunks and burning tires in my gut. Just, <laughs> they dictate certain things. All right. Well, I will have to go with my favorite Texas condiment, which is uh, the fancy ketchup from Whataburger. Uh, it's mm. made in San Antonio. And um, I don't know. There's just something about it that... Uh, you know, is the the most ketchupy of ketchups for me, and hits all the flavor centers. So, uh, fancy ketchup, which you can buy at H uh, E B. You don't have to go to Whataburger to get it. You can buy a giant bottle for your own use at home. Which, for those of us in the Dallas area, the closest H E B is Central Market. Yep. It's also sold at uh, some non H E B regions as well. You can get it here in Tyler. Yeah. But anyway, you should only have Whataburger ketchup in your closet and in your fridge. Amen. All right. That wraps things up for today. (laughs) 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 So today we watched 
for your pleasure, Walker, Texas Ranger. The very first episode, season one, episode one. Uh, it's available on Amazon. It's available on a number of platforms. You can also just find it on YouTube. So if you want to pause so you can go spend an hour and 40 minutes of your life that you'll never get back watching it, go now and then push play when you're done. Yeah. Or if you want, we'll summarize as we go. So Walker was a uh, Chuck Norris vehicle, obviously, for those who were not, you know, who were in a coma for the entire 1990s. Uh, Walker, Texas Ranger was a vehicle uh, for Chuck Norris. It was on CBS starting in 1993, and it actually aired, uh, generally speaking, on Saturday evenings um, in on the on the CBS on the I network. Uh, the first episode appeared in uh, mid-1993 as a mid-season replacement. And uh, what we'll do is just kind of talk through the plot a little bit and uh, summarize kind of what is going on, what went on with the plot, and we'll talk a little bit about our feelings about this show and uh, what we remember from this show as we were all in first going into college this time, and some of us are spouses and Significant others and family members were uh, still in school and were watching this show. So uh, the show is largely based on Lone Wolf McQuaid in the sense that it is the inspiration for the show. But then they go off in a totally different direction than Lone Wolf McQuaid was. So where Lone Wolf McQuaid was really a gritty uh Kung Fu action film uh, set in the in the in the modern West. Uh, Walker, Texas Ranger is a not gritty, family friendly uh, action show for old people and children. Uh, <laughs> I mean, like, let's just be uh, but, real before yeah. we get started. This yeah. was the NCIS of its day. This was what it yeah, was. It really was. This it set. Was. The, well, in fact, I would say this yeah. set the mold for that yeah, generation so, of shows. So, so Matlock had been on for several years on NBC before this, and I think before this, uh, I think this was a replacement for Murder She Wrote uh, on CBS. So, that's the kind of demo that they were shooting for, but they wanted to try to catch a little bit of younger audience with the with the super action star Chuck Norris. Although Chuck Norris was no longer quite the super action star by 1993 from movies. Um, so the movie actually starts off a lot like Lone Wolf McQuaid. There's a robbery of an armored truck out in the middle of the desert. Uh, and these bad guys, uh, one of whom is wearing a real sweet duster, uh, duster jacket. Uh, they knock off this armored truck and they go off to Mexico and, and, uh, you see this, this beat up old, uh, or not really old is beat up late eighties, uh, GMC Sierra pickup, uh, short cab, uh, pickup. Uh, driving uh, down the road, and there's a there's a handwritten sign saying Texas border Mexican border two miles, and then he comes on this uh, this cantina in Mexico and walks uh, walks in and he comes in and he he looks like uh, uh, he looks like Lone Wolf McQuaid's boring older cousin, um, who's not quite as cool as Lone Wolf McQuaid is, um, but he walks in and he beats up these bad guys and he takes the he kicks them, kicks their butts in this this uh, um, canteen. I wrote down the kicks start at four minutes and thirty seconds in the show. So, uh, and he uh, they the gets the gets the one guy and says, "Mister, you ain't got no right." And he's kick. He said, 
uh, and he punches him in the face and says, I think that's a pretty good right. So that was the kind of humor that this, uh, well, that this show really was going for. Well, let me just say this. <clears throat> for anybody who's seen the original, like, Adam West Batman, um, like, this show is just... it. It is so it's hard. Not quite a cartoonish. Yeah, it's, it's not hard. A no, but no. I was making more point. Like, like there's there's this thing called the Dutch angle. For those who don't know film, the Dutch angle oh, is yeah. where the cameras yeah, are set at abstract angles. And as you watch it, like they, it's a bit like your delicious salt or sugar, Sean. Yeah. A little bit goes a long way, and they way yeah. go over the top. So it is, it is at points like watching a '60s Batman be just the vertigo you feel. Yeah, these yeah, horrible, that, that, dumb angles. It's like, why are we doing this Dutch angle this and Dutch angle that? And I get there. Maybe they're trying to bring excitement to it, but I just feel like it just makes me feel like I'm on a rocking ship in the middle of the ocean. But they, yeah, and that, that may have been only a feature of the of the pilot because this is the pilot. So uh, some things well, kind of changed well, as the series went on. God help us if we have to watch all of these things like we did with yeah, no. uh, Texas Rising. <laughs> But yeah, yeah so, so 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 he, yeah, yeah, so he, he goes he, and gets these bad guys in Mexico, and he brings them back, and he brings them back in the bed of his pickup truck. He ties them up in the bed of his pickup truck, yep. and he brings them back from Nogales to Fort Worth. Nogales, Fort Worth. By the way, I I did put it on the map. It's about a thousand miles. So he yeah. punched. I think he maybe they're people uh, unconscious and drove them a thousand miles. I think is what they imply. I think there may be, yeah. And they're, they're maybe playing a little fast and loose with uh, Texas geography, which has been known to happen on the, to happen. both yes. the large and small screen. Indeed, yeah. So they they wind up in downtown Fort Worth. He's talking to the to the DA, and she's she's just, so the DA is played by Sherry Wilson. Her name is Alex. Uh, she uh, will become important in the show later uh, because she will eventually become Walker's romantic interest, and they get married. Um, but at the time, it was just Sherry Wilson had been a veteran of the TV show Dallas, uh, which had just gone off the air. So she was uh, the DA, and she's saying, ah, oh, you can't go to Mexico. You didn't have permission. You can't. You, we're not going to be able to convict these guys. So they're walking through downtown Fort Worth, and this is what Cassandra said is, why is there a horse walking behind? <laughs> and so we had to rewind it and watch. It was actually a mounted policeman. So I was like, oh, that kind of makes sense. She's like, why are there mounted policemen in Fort Worth? I was like, yeah, they, I think there are. So... But it is clearly for downtown Fort Worth. It's like Sundance Square, but, you know, 25 years ago. Um, and then there's a scene uh, where he they go into her office and she's talking to the governor. I don't know why, but she's talking to the governor, and which should be Ann Richards at the time, who we've talked about in our past episodes. And, and uh, she says, oh, you want to talk to him? And she hands the phone to Walker and he talks to her and da-da-da. And he says, oh, okay, well, thank you very much. All right. And then she hands it and is like, how did you get away with it? So he's he's apparently a favorite of the governor, Van Richards, which, you know, she liked to shoot guns and she was kind of a kick-ass lady. So I guess that makes sense. She liked Walker, Texas Ranger. So this is a pilot. And, you know, the whole point of TV pilots is we have to give you the tone of the show, the idea of what's going to happen in an episode. But they also have to do a lot of exposition and lay a lot of pipe around who are the characters we're going to be seeing for the whole season. Um, so we meet this guy, CD who owns the bar and really all you need to know about this guy is that he was in a bunch of the Ernest movies. Yes, he was. And he was also in Hee Haw and, uh, he was the husband on the, uh, uh, fried green tomatoes. His name was, um, uh, what's his name? I didn't, I wrote this down. Oh, his name is Callard, Callard Sarton. 
He's a character actor. If you see a picture of him, you'd know him. Um, he's big. He's kind of big, big chunky guy. Uh, he's and, funny. Uh, he's, he's funny. Like I said, yeah. he was good enough for Ernest. He's good enough for me. Yeah. Um, so he's a retired. He's a retired Texas Ranger captain, and he's kind of Walker's mentor, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And so which, they, they, again, they just they sort of introduce. He's going to be this sort of old old captain guy that he turns to for influence and advice. And then, yeah. and this is where the uh, the young, the young and uh, less than smart rookie Texas Ranger guy shows up. Yeah, and so he says, "Oh, I'm gonna." He's got a he's got a bracelet for his girlfriend, and they tell him, "Oh, it's a, it's Fugazi, it's fake." They don't say that, but they say it's a fake. It's electric plated, but so then he's like he's established as oh he's he's young and kind of dumb, and and something's gonna happen to him. They cut to uh, our uh, our hero, uh, Ranger Walker, waking up to some sort of racket uh, in his ranch house. And he looks out the window, and there's uh, a cement mixer running um, out in his yard. So he, he throws on his clothes. He goes out there and see what's going on. And it's his uh, old Native American uh, Uncle Ray who's building a wall, extending a wall. And uh, it's, it's a pretty good line, I guess, where he says, uh, what are you doing? He says, I'm extending the wall. And he's like, you've been extending the wall for 20 years. He's like, this place is too big as it is. He's like, well, someday I might want to have, what do you say? Is it his grandfather or his uncle? No, his uncle. He's like, well, I want to have some grandkids. Yeah. 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 So so it's established that he was he is part Native American through yeah. this, and he was raised by his uncle, cause, and, his, and that his father was killed uh, in the yeah. past, and that the tribe tasked his uncle with raising so the actor who plays him is uh, floyd red crow westerman uh who has passed away since but he was a longtime native american actor uh a musician and an activist and probably most famously would recognize him as the older chief on the movie dance of wolves ten bears yeah and uh yeah he's a very recognizable face right and uh no, I think he adds a really good uh, bit of character to this show. He was one of my favorite parts, actually. Yeah. So then this is the point where we start to get into the main plot. And so there's a bank robbery. Um, and these bad guys are wearing these horrible wigs, uh, are robbing this bank. And uh, one of the tellers sets off the alarm. And the young ranger we met earlier comes to, to comes in to try to stop them. And uh, there's a blind man in a cowboy hat who's in this bank and he walks out well he turns out he's the leader of the bad guys and he pulls out a gun and he he shoots the the uh, the ranger the young ranger and kills him and so this is now this is your this is your this is your heavy who's established this is your this you're starting to get into your main plot um however it's not a tv movie pilot episode without a subplot so the next scene they kind of just abruptly cut uh, after the after the, the 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 ranger is killed and everybody's sad, they cut to the subplot, where Alex comes to Walker and tells him uh, about a, a that there is a circus that's in town and a young lady in the circus uh, has been raped and beaten by a couple of local guys, which is kind of heavy for a family TV show, but. Um, and these locals are out of jail, and they're terrorizing this this little circus family, and they're and uh, they want to leave. They want to get out of town because they're scared. So Alex asks Walker to let them come stay at his ranch with him, which makes perfect sense because 
I don't know why it makes sense, but it's, I guess it just does. I mean, the thing is, is this, is that, uh, well, first off, they'll say that, like, the, the guy who plays the dad, the, the Russian dad, this is where I'm, like, scratching my head with the casting here. <laughs> give me, give me a second to catch my breath here. Okay. <clears throat> so, you have this guy's name, Ilya Baskin. Uh, he was in Moscow on the Hudson, if you remember that really fantastic film from the 80s. He was also in uh, the movie 2010. He played Max, who befriended um, an American scientist. And, and uh, he's, he's, you've seen him in a million TV shows. And yeah, he's he's goofy-looking, non-scary Russian guy. Yeah, he's, yeah, and he's great. He's really great. Now, <clears throat> the lady that they cast as his Russian wife uh, is named Rhoda Jiminanji, and she's from Philadelphia, and she's the <laughs> lady from Ghostbusters who sold them. She's a real estate oh! agent. She's been in a million <laughs> other things. She's a yeah, she's like uh, a northeastern American like f- fussy lady character actor person and she does yeah. a terrible accent. But the whole point is is that there you know he's oh, what I I here's my note about this uh whole thing. The district attorney lady says uh do your job and he says no. And then she says look at this photo and then he says okay. And it's like Hmm. You know, I'm asking you to take care of this problem. Uh, But the point is, is that like they're obviously setting up like kind of this B plot. It's it's very obvious that this is the B plot. And they have these these lovely character actors in there, uh, one of whom is terribly miscast. But it was still fun to see him on the screen because he's always delightful in anything. Yes. So the the point of the subplot, though, is to. To, like you said, to bring out some more of the character details of the main character. And in this case, this young girl, 16-year-old, beautiful, blonde-haired g- gymnast, uh, uh, trapeze artist, who has been attacked by these men, uh, and she just, she can't, she's withdrawn, and she can't, she can't let go of her emotions. She's terrified, and she goes out, and he has a scene with her, and it shows the, the sensitive, but it also gives you his backstory. And his backstory uh, is that his father was a rodeo cowboy uh, who was Native American and bull rider, and he met his mother at a carnival at a at a rodeo, and they got married, fell in love, got married, and they went to a carnival when he was a boy. He was ten or twelve years old, and some local thugs uh, got in his dad's face and were calling him names about being being an Indian and how does it you know calling young walker a half-breed and his dad lost his temper and got in a fight with these guys and they stabbed him and they stabbed him to death and then his mother tried to break up the fight and she got stabbed in the stomach and at that point i looked at cassandra my wife and said he's batman he's batman walker (laughs) texas ranger is batman well Uh, yeah he's texas batman let me just there there is something on okay I don't want to yeah. sound like I mean it's a it, it's a it's a thing of like modern modern cinema modern media you look back at some of this and you look at that period from like 1988 to like 1994 and there's like a huge period of we're going to cast and do a lot of uh native american appropriation so you have the dances with wolves going on oh yeah you have yeah. thunderheart with Val Kimmer came out the year before uh 
I mean, needless to say, Chuck Norris's sidekicks came out the year before, which really has nothing to do with that piece, but just, just remind you that he made sidekicks the year before this came out. Um, but, you know, and you start looking, and there's a lot of films happening around that time that are sort of this, kind of this story of you have this, you know, uh, person who has ties to Native American, but they're still clearly a white character actor. Um, and there's a sort of play on this spirituality entering. And so it was very weird uh, time that it was, you know, it was sort of celebrated, but it was also sort of kind of, you know, watered down a bit. Well, I, and again, the point of the, the point of the scene is to give some humanity and backstory to Walker through a little bit of exposition. It's a couple of minutes of exposition. Um, but, you suddenly have a whole backstory to the character and his motivations. Um, and because yeah. he is, he got beat up as well by these, these thugs, but he also has now a connection with this girl and she's finally able to cry, even though she doesn't cry. Uh, she's finally able to cry and start to let go of her emotions and, and heal just like he has, right. You know, found a way to heal himself. So that's a good, it's a good scene. It's a, it's not a very well acted scene because it's Chuck Norris, but it's, it's still a good scene. Um, oh boy, so, gonna, somebody's getting somebody's getting roundhoused. Yeah, <laughs> very so, soon. Uh, <laughs> so, in the meantime, in between, so there's there's just there's a couple. Of, these are a couple of scenes in the in the ranch. There is a scene in the middle where you're introduced. So the 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 blind guy is actually a uh, a big guy. Looks like Howie Long, uh, and he's the bad guy. Uh, and he's he's got a scene where he's yelling at his at his henchmen because they have screwed up that bank, that bank robbery. And, and he, now they got Rangers after him. And so he beats them up. Uh, and he, so it shows that he knows karate. So he's a big guy and he's gonna, he's gonna know karate, uh, to fight Chuck Norris in, at the end of the movie. Uh, but it doesn't say his name and you don't know anything about him, except that he's wearing a yellow and green letterman jacket, which really spells bad guy to me. I mean, I don't know about you, but, I am threatened by big men in Letterman Letterman jackets. So, <laughs> and but suede suede Letterman jacket, not not yes. not a high school Letterman jacket, but a Letterman style jacket. Well, that Very guy, nice. that guy, that's Marshall Teague, right? Yeah, let's we'll get into Marshall Teague in just a little bit. We'll talk about his backstory later. But yes, it is Marshall Teague. I mean, come um, on, like when you're skipping over the fact, like you should just say, like, look, he's the. He's the main heavy guy from Roadhouse. That's all you have to say. That, he is the guy that gets his throat ripped out in Roadhouse. Um, and he was in The Rock and uh, uh, Armageddon. Mm-hmm. He's been, uh, he's and, been and he's, around. He's regular, ter- regular TV character actor. He's the voice of one of the characters in the uh, uh, some Call of Duty series. So. I, I don't know how he was on this TV show because I saw him die in Roadhouse. I assume <laughs> that that is a documentary. Yeah. This is the point where we get uh, introduced to Walker's uh, partner, uh, or soon-to-be yeah. partner. Um, his buddy at the bar, was his buddy at the bar Maybe. talks yeah. about him? Yeah. Yeah. Um, talks up this new guy that uh, he's going to partner up, Ranger, or that's going to get partnered up with Walker. And uh, it goes on and on about this guy's history and how he... Uh, Grew up on the, was it Baltimore? Grew up on the streets of Baltimore. Uh, had a football scholarship, and he played for the Dallas Cowboys until he uh, was it, injured his shoulder. And then no other team would touch him after that. 
and he ended up going into law enforcement. And now he's like this brainiac that uh, brings a new approach to law enforcement. Um, so they go to meet this guy, and he climbs up out of the pool. Um, they go, why it's at the pool? I don't know. Um, but he gets out of the pool in his Speedo and uh, his his multicolor rainbow Speedo and uh, <laughs> introduces himself. Um, and it turns out this uh, – yeah, Clarence Gilliard, who um, I mostly remember as the tech nerd uh, bank robber guy from uh, Die Hard. Um, he's the one that uh, operates the drill and, and all of that stuff. And, and the and quarterback does all the... is toast. Yeah, that guy. <laughs> um, I love him. And he's, he's you know, right up there with uh, Uncle Ray as my, my favorite characters in Walker, Texas yeah. Ranger. Um but yeah, yes, I mean, uh, I, he's he he's like the perfect uh, foil for traditional rough and tough Walker. Um, he's the future-thinking um, cerebral law enforcement officer, but and he's, he's still physically capable. Yeah, yeah, he uh, he's a, he he drinks. He's a juice. He's a what is it? They call him a, a juicitarian or something. Juicitarian, like that. yeah. He's always drinking juice. So Clarence Galliard actually had been was a TV veteran uh, and. Uh, he had been in Chips uh, as an officer, Ben, West, ben Webster, uh, from 82 to 83. He was in Top Gun as Sundown, uh, the only African-American uh, person in the movie Top Gun. Uh, he was, but most famously, besides Die Hard, he had been on Matlock from 1989 to 1983 as Matlock's uh detective assistant so he he had already honed his tv chops for old people uh, <laughs> for the previous four years four or five years so so i think bringing him onto the cast of this show really was a smart move because it's like here is a young good-looking guy who's african-american and he's progressive but the old people like him because they know who he is so um but he is a fun character because he's always got a smile and positive attitude and and uh walker keeps missing up his name he keeps calling him trevet or trivet or something trivet. like that yeah but it's it's trivet which is like it's like corvette so um uh so that's the that's the introduction of trivet uh which he looks very strange wearing a cowboy hat and boots but that's okay he's a texas ranger um then then you get introduced to Cobalt. So, Mike, talk to, us, talk to us about Cobalt. There's an arms dealer guy who's, you know, they, they, in, they introduce, like, this one character named Cobalt. And the problem with Cobalt is he's just, he's, they've, they've established a few tropes. The first is, is that, like, you know, he's this, um, he's this kind of smarmy underground guy who's trying to be bigger than he is. The bad guys sort of interrogate him and, you know, they threaten him uh, because they want him to build bombs for them because they've got this mega heist plan that the show keeps hinting at that there's some kind of incredible heist that's going to be pulled off that is um, beyond belief. And what the so he makes up a bunch of lies about how cool he is as a as a uh, uh, oh, as a um 
is a bomb is a terrorist yeah Yeah. he makes up a bunch of lies about how good a terrorist and but he's really just kind of a minor arms dealer guy so they he's a walking plot device he's a yep so they threaten him they throw him out uh, which leads to this whole long subplot that will boil down to basically like uh walker and trevette figure out that this they figure out that this is the guy they need to be talking to because he's a link to what's going on with this robberies that aren't sitting well with them. They they basically he gives them a tip that they can contact the uh, the bad guys by uh, by paging them from a from an ad in a mercenary magazine, um, soldier like soldier of fortune or something. And so they do they ha- they try to they try to contact them with Trivet tries to kind of go undercover. Uh, there's a scene at a parking parking lot in downtown Dallas. Um, they kind of play fast and loose with the geography of the DFW area because a lot of the scenes are set in downtown Fort Worth. Uh, and then they're like, well, we've got to go over to Griffin and Irve and 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 then the the headquarters of where the Rangers are is the old city courthouse in Dallas, uh, the old red. So it's kind of I think, but that they're portraying that to be in Fort Worth, but then. So they have this car chase in downtown Dallas. And I thought that scene was really cool. Uh, not necessarily because it was, I mean, it was just a fun car chase. Uh, it's just interesting to see downtown Dallas 25 years ago, you know? So like, oh, there's Irve Street and there's, there's, oh, there, I, there's this building and there's that building. And, oh, there's, there's the, uh, the Magnolia building. I know that street. And there's Ackard Street. There's, so it's like very, it was interesting just to kind of see them driving through downtown dallas um bad guys get away though um but they're starting to pick piece together their idea of what's going on but there's a lot of weird cuts in this movie so like there's this big scene with this there's a big scene with this car chase and then they're back at the bar and they're they're like well they got away after they they were firing guns and shooting out windows and wrecking cars and they're like oh well i guess we'll just go back and hang out at the bar yeah, I guess they don't have to do paperwork in 1993. Um, but yeah, so uh, CD wants Walker to return to bull riding to help these little kids uh, at an orphanage uh, to raise money for them. So like, oh, that you're like, oh, that's setting up the final scene of the movie where everybody goes, ah. So it's just a it's just a weird cut. That's all. Um, let's see. Car chase, car chase, trivet. So Trivet, he figures Trivet. out. Trap, sorry, Trivet <laughs> is the one who he's starting to piece together all the the pieces. Like, oh, the armored car robbery actually is connected with this, and the bank robbery. They, and he's got an idea that they're actually gonna. There's there's a lot of money that's going to be going to this one bank, but then there's these four banks that the, there's these four banks at the other side of town, and that's. He thinks that they think that maybe they're they're going to try to rob those banks. So, but the but their captain doesn't believe them. Meanwhile, so then you find out finally who Worson is. He he's still hiring goons. Well, he has this ex CIA guy that interviews and Orson, and so that guy's like, oh, he recognizes him, Orson. I thought I didn't know you were out of the business. And so it's like basically Orson is the bad guy. He was a CIA operative and a crooked spook uh, who's decided he's going to just become a criminal. Um, so they're going to rob these four banks and they are actually going to rob these four banks in downtown. Well, of course, because, of course, because Walker's figured it out and that's the whole thing is that now it sets up this third act of, 
Walker knows what the plan is, but then of course you introduce the thing of like, uh, as as I have a note here that said, you know, maybe you're too close to this one to be impersonal because they try to blow him up with a bomb in his office. Yeah, yeah, but well, maybe I am too close. And then he says, like, I do take it personal. So he decides to to be the lone wolf, take it on his own. He and his new partner and his friends are going to stop this crime from happening, even though all the other rangers and the other federal people are all going to be where they expect the criminals to strike. So they're all falling into the criminal's trap, except for Rain- Walker, because he's just too smart. But first... <laughs> You got to wrap up the sub. Oh, yeah, yeah. The sub pod, the fight on the farm. I have a note here about that. Yeah, go ahead. So while uh, all this, uh, these shenanigans at the, the bar are taking place where they're, they're figuring out the, the armored car robberies and, and all of that stuff, um, the tough guys that assaulted the young lady at the carnival um, or the circus show back up at uh, Walker's house and uh, do a little bit of a home invasion type deal. And uh, as they're on their way out um, chasing the young lady, um, they run into Walker, Texas Ranger, having returned home. And he goes about um, kind of beating them all up, as one would expect, in the typical um, kind of slow-motion way of this show. Um, I don't know how else to describe it. It's like slow motion without actually being in slow motion. <laughs> Very carefully posed um, yeah. action. So you that know, little the, plot line gets resolved. And well, the, he, the, before he starts the fight, he, he tells them, uh, why don't you go over there and uh, open the tailgate on my truck? So we know where that's headed. Yeah, that that's kind of his gimmick. Is I'm going to open the tailgate on the truck because I'm going to fill it with human cargo. Yeah, but... But one guy, one guy does try to get away, and his uncle Ray is on his horse and goes and ropes him and catches him as he gets tries to get away. Well, there's another part of that scene that I enjoy too. That is like he he punches this guy and he's like, "You broke my nose," and then he says, "I'll fix it with violence," and he like, you know, and, he, and his eye liked it better before, and he smashes his nose in further. Yeah. Here's the thing, <clears throat> you know, he is kind of a sworn officer of the law like you know he could have just you know once they subdued a criminal maybe we don't need to like shame kick them in the face a little extra there's also a lot of like you know the back fisty elbow elbow shots to the face which was just like it's a lot of head trauma so if you're you know a craniofacial surgeon you might not want to watch this show yeah, so that wraps up the subplot, which is good. They they actually they actually put these guys away for good in the jail, and they're going to go to prison because you know they assault a Texas Ranger and you know try to murder people, so they should go to jail. Um, but before the big heist, there's still time for Walker to go visit the the grave of the young Texas Ranger, and this is probably the absolute craziest scene in this whole show, absolutely beyond a shadow of a doubt, insane. Straight up. Uh, he goes and wraps a blanket around his shoulders, and then he pulls out these feathers, and he says, May the spirit of the owl go with you to see in the night. May the spirit of the hawk go with you. Maybe the spirit of the eagle. It's like this this offensive <laughs> Native American pseudo-mumbo-jumbo that just doesn't well, make a 
Well, they set this up in the very beginning because when he first meets his Uncle Ray, he's like, you didn't say hello to the sun. And he's like, oh, hi, son. You know, he's just he's kind of going (laughs) in the motions. And then he's like, oh, but maybe this is important. I should take it more seriously. And there, you know, again, it was the 90s, folks. It was a very different time. Yeah, well, it was strange. (laughs) So all this builds up. That whole plot's resolved, and that character, the Russian guy, he'll show up again in some later episodes. Uh, now it comes down to the big mega heist, where the, you know, where the authorities are going to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. But Walker knows what the score is. Yeah. So Walker's staying with the four banks, and who shows up? But but CD, who is a retired ranger, by the way, who comes in with his badge on and his his like a gun on his hip and he says i'm gonna they can't stop me from putting a deposit in my bank and so he walks into the bank now i don't know when we lived in 1993 dallas and the dfw area i don't think anybody still even back then would have appreciated a man walking in to a bank fully armed with a gun i I think i think that would have gone well even if he had a texas ranger badge so i don't know about you but um so yeah, the so the heist so the bomb goes off in the other big in the decoy bank and everybody goes to that bank to try to stop the robbery there. It's not going to happen. And in the meantime, the bad guys are hitting these four banks, and it's just Walker and CD there. Um, and I think is does Walker pull out Lone Wolf McQuaid's sawed-off shotgun from his truck? Uh, it's a similar concept, but it's not the same. Not quite the same. Okay, well. Uh, so they have this big gunfight in the middle of downtown Fort Worth. Um, and Trevet figures out, Trevet, I'm sorry, Trevet figures <laughs> out that it's just a bomb. And so they go running back, uh, to go stop the foot to get, to help Walker. Walker has taken out most of the people. He locks up some of the guys in a, uh, bank vault, which I think those are airtight. So that's kind of dangerous. Don't you think? Kind of a violation of their rights, but you know, I mean, like <laughs> you have the right, you have the right to be kicked in the face. You have the right to have your nose smashed in by my fist. I might yeah, throw exactly. a flying elbow. You want to go through yeah, any more of your rights? Yeah. So uh, uh, there is a neat scene where Trevet uh, does that car leap to get a bad guy. I, I, remember, I noticed that scene. Like, yeah, does that's that a flying tackle. Flying tackle across the hood of a car, which is like, oh, that's yeah. pretty awesome. So but it shows, loses, that, yeah. but he uses his glasses that the ladies say uh, enhance the shape of his face. Yeah, he breaks them. He has multiple pairs of glasses because he keeps breaking his glasses. Uh, and then Walker sees Orson, who has a spider tattoo. They'd noticed this on the film of the blind man uh, earlier, and uh, he goes and chases after him. Uh, very weird. He hands off his shotgun to another cop to go chase down Orson, which made no sense either. If you're going to go after a bad guy, wouldn't you stay armed? You would assume so. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, he catches up with him and they have a fight at the water gardens, which is a famous feature in downtown Fort Worth. It's a, it's a very large water fountain with steps and, uh, concrete it's just very famous in downtown fort worth there's we'll post a picture of it they have a fight in the water gardens of downtown fort worth uh uh and it's pretty short fight because he they have a couple of kicks the 
Orson doesn't really land anything on Walker. I noticed that nobody really lands any punches or kicks on Walker in at any point in this episode. Um, unlike unlike Lone Wolf McQuaid, who shows a bit of mortality by allowing himself to be beaten by a man in Sansabelt slacks. Uh, I don't think Walker would allow that. So uh, anyway, they have the fight, and he finally knocks him out, and wins the fight. And again, Orson's wearing this green and yellow suede Letterman jacket, which is just weird. Um, so the action scene's over, and Walker wins the day. Well, it's not all over because no, we now have you know at the very beginning we laid a um, the owner of the bar had been giving him a hard time to help these uh, children. I only need eight seconds of your time. <clears throat> I only need eight seconds of your time. And so we cut to the 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 rodeo. Yeehaw! Yeehaw! Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, um, I like how Billy you know because he's he's riding yeah. the the bull for charity, and uh, he's sitting there explaining to the I guess she's the district attorney. He's yeah, explaining Alex. to her. He's like, this bull is this bad, and this bull is awful because of this, and this one, this is the Terminator, and you know nobody wants wants to ride that one because it's he's the most awful, and he'll kick you when you fall, or he'll go for you with his horns when you fall off, and then of course his buddy walks up and. Uh, says, you ready? He's like, yeah, I'm ready. And then they announce that he's riding the bull that he just described as the worst <laughs> bull to ride. Yeah. And he gives the uh, trite yet appropriate line. Doesn't he say, if I live through this, I'm going to kill you or something along those lines? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, and Trevette is, uh, is uh, also helping out. He's playing a rodeo clown, which he doesn't really know what. He's like, oh, I could just jump in this barrel, right? And <laughs> yeah. So... Uh, Chuck rides for eight and, uh, a walker rides for eight and, and then he gets bucked off and, and then, uh, he and, uh, uh, Trevette are in the, the floor of the rodeo and they're like, Oh, and Trevette says, uh, he's going to, uh, there's something like, uh, what is he, is he mad at us? And the bull starts running to him and they jump and it's a freeze frame. Yeah. So. And I swear that freeze frame maybe it's just bad compression on youtube but um pretty sure that frame they freeze on that is not chuck norris that is a stunt man of some sort that does oh, not look like so. chuck norris's face <laughs> so um that brings us to the end and I, I have to say one of the things that i find fascinating about this is that it's chuck norris who i never considered a small time kind of guy really and the production values on this show seem so, so very low to me. Yeah. Here's the thing. You watch this show, and it's kind of like when you see fashion from the 90s that is starting to come back. If you saw somebody walking down the street in stirrup pants, you'd be like, what in the world is that girl wearing? Uh, you know, or jelly shoes or any of the other crazy, you know, shoulder pads for days. The thing is this. Uh, at the time, we didn't realize how dumb it was, how bad it was. We were just living in it, and we thought it was great. Um, you know, well, Chuck- I'm gonna, I'm gonna give, I'm gonna give you something though. Oh God! And give you both an out to blow <laughs> your mind and to show you why the production values are the way they are. I'm gonna say two words to you. Yep. Canon, Canon Television. Mm-hmm. Uh, this show was developed and produced by Canon Television. And if you haven't watched the documentary about Canon films, 
I believe it's on Netflix. I know it's on Amazon. Go out and watch it because it will explain so much because Canon was famous for its its low budget films. And Chuck Norris was a regular on the Canon film. So uh, but they went out of business and and the documentary the show was the, a hit. The documentary is called yeah, Electric Boogaloo. Electric Boogaloo, the story of Canon. Not for kids. Definitely not for kids. Um, but if you if you so they went out of business, though, after the show was picked up. CBS picked up CBS and Chuck Norris picked up co-production on the show. So the actual TV show, the production values increased considerably. So if you actually go back now, they are not, it's not lost. It's not, it's not even Star Trek, the next generation level. It's, it's just better than it was on this, this pilot. Um, to me, the thing that's the positive about this thing that I really liked about this, this, this show is all of the, all of the stuff in Texas, it was clearly filmed in Dallas and Fort Worth. True. Because, yeah, yeah, because the bill it was not filmed like in a back lot. And oh, this is Dallas, and these are this is B roll of of Dallas skyline or Fort Worth skyline. These are it, they're walking in the streets of Dallas, driving it, in the streets. It wasn't it wasn't Toronto. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Which is really cool. I mean, um, look, I, I like mean, that. I, it's listen, it's it better than Texas Rising. We get that, Sean. Okay. <laughs> Uh, here's a couple of things that I do like. Let me just tell you some stuff I do like because I, I want to be positive. Um, yeah. I miss the magnificent Crown Victoria. Those early 90s Fords are all over like the, the old Ford <laughs> cop cars. And there's a lot of like fake wood paneling on cars. And I kind of miss that. I was like, you know what? I wouldn't mind seeing like, you know, um, a 16,000 pound Ford sedan rolling down the highway. Uh, yeah. And then there's a I scene... Hang on. It I should... also saw a couple of hold on for cars. I also saw a couple of uh, late uh, late '80s Cavaliers. Oh yeah, uh, scattered throughout the film. Love this I mean, throughout the, sh- the show. Okay, but there's a scene, a shot. It should be a meme in and of itself. And you know, get out there and make a gif of this. Get it going. When they're right after the funeral of the young Texas Ranger in the beginning, Chuck Norris is wearing a suit, which is unsettling. Because, I mean, I'm assuming he's got like a denim vest beneath the suit somewhere. <laughs> there needs to be some. He needs to have venom, denim touching his body at one at all times. But essentially, they show him in this suit, and the camera like kind of zooms in his face, and they're talking about you know this young young ranger that's died, and then and he's just giving this look into the camera. He like kind of looks away, and then he looks in the camera. And he looks away and he looks in the camera. But he's not looking in the camera. He's looking directly into your soul. And that image will keep <laughs> me awake at night for years of Chuck Norris just boring his eyes right into my very heart. Um, you know, another thing that bugged me, uh, I know we just said, like, you know, he wears kind of a, a, a funny neon speedo. But I'm telling you what, folks, you know, on my note here is neon banana hammock. You have to go see this thing. <laughs> like it is. And it is like, what is the biggest thing we could do to make Chuck Norris uncomfortable? Let's have a guy get out of the pool in the speedo and he just drinks juice. Um, <clears throat> there's a lot of pagers in this. Yeah. Would you forget like how much pagers were everywhere too, right? Yeah, well, and and the character, uh, the the Trevette character, actually was noted later on in the show for, like, I, I can remember seeing scenes of the show where, like, I'm gonna go sit on the computer. It was like that scene with uh, 
in in Lone Wolf McQuay were like, we're going to use the computers. Like it was noted that that he used his cell phone later in the show and he used computers. Uh, it probably used your cell phone that you had in 1993. Um, well, that the, was the flip phone. Yeah, that was the. Um, no, it wasn't the Dynatech. The Motorola. It was the Motorola. Motorola. It was the Dyna. Yeah. It was maybe in the Dynatech. I'd have to go back and look up. I, you know, it's been so long to remember the names of those. Well, you were the only person that had a cell phone, so. Yeah, I could talk. I could talk for minutes at a time on that thing too. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, you know, here's the thing: is like it's just it's. It's it's kind of like when you go back and watch old comedy shows, you're like, this is just a police procedural with strong characters who have sort of this moral definition. And it's I, I look at something like this and say, this laid a, you know, this drew on the blueprints of things before, but it really felt like it laid a blueprint for a number of series and things that followed after it. And it was, mm-hmm. you know, it's popcorn television to watch you know it's it's not threatening in in pretty much any way you know it's it's very morally direct and it doesn't you know ask a lot of hard questions right and and that's the thing so this show so here's a couple of notes about this show first of all one of the people who developed the show was a is a comic book writer and a film producer or tv producer named j michael strasinski uh who had to leave the show um uh, he was he worked for Canon Television. He had to leave the show though before it was fi- finished to go develop uh, his own se- series, Babylon Five. Um, so he, and so he was he was one of the producers. Another producer is Paul Haggis, who won an Oscar later for uh, uh, Crash and Million Dollar Baby, and now is caught up in the Me Too movement um, in a negative way. Uh, so the other thing is that uh, to the cast notes, so. Uh, Ray, Uncle Ray only lasted a season and then he retired. Uh, he was getting older, so he left the show after season one. Um, Guyard Sarton, who played CD, was replaced after the pilot by actor Noble Winningham, who is famous uh, for a number of sh- movies and TV shows. Uh, and he's actually, a, he, he was replaced because Winningham is an authentic Texan. But also because Sarton is six years younger than Chuck Norris, um, so it was kind of difficult to have a character playing the older mentor of Walker being younger than the actual actor. So uh, uh, Noble Winningham was nine years older than Chuck Norris, so and he had gray hair and was a was a bit scruffier and older looking. I think it was a it was a good casting choice because I love Noble Winningham and in, in, in everything he's done. So uh, he he's he benefited the show he stayed on the show until 1999 then he left to join to run for the united states house he lost uh to the incumbent who eventually lost to louis gohmert who is the current representative for that district um and uh winningham passed away in 2004 um and the only uh, the other cast thing is that so sherry uh sherry wilson who played alex and uh and and uh clayton galliard who played Trevitt appeared in all of the episodes except for Gallard missed two episodes. Uh, and uh, Sherry Wilson appeared in every other episode of the show. Uh, they also had a TV movie in 2005 that both appeared in. Her character was killed. Uh, she was Walker's wife at that point. Um, and in season two, the GMC Sierra was replaced because the show signed a deal with Chrysler 
Uh, and so Walker got a Dodge Ram pickup truck for the remainder of the show. Um, the show was a hit of a sense. It was in the top 30 uh, for pretty much its entire run. Um, it was in the top 20 for a couple of years. It was firmly ensconced on Saturday nights where uh, because they quickly figured out who their demo was, their target demo was, and they toned down the show. Actually, the first pilot is a little darker than the series itself became. Well, I'll throw out one more for you. Marshall Teague, um, who plays the the, mm-hmm. <clears throat> the bad guy from Roadhouse. Um, he's interesting. He actually played a different character in the finale. So he's in the very first episode, and he's in the very last episode. But, yeah, he uh, is actually... He's personal he, friends he, with he Chuck. Is, you know. Yeah. Well, he and uh, so Randall Tex Cobb, who we talked about in the previous episode, was also in that last episode. But uh, Marshall Teague is the last person to fight Walker, Texas Ranger on their regular series. So, um, hey, hey, Scott, were you Scott, were you mm-hmm. on that tour that that where they went down to Deep Ellum and they actually stumbled across the Walker set? Um, I don't remember there being a tour. I remember just being down there and uh-huh. walking through it and being like, what's going on here? And then yeah. it was like, oh, they're shooting an episode of Walker, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It was at a punk rock club, I think is what it was. So, yeah, I don't know. I, I just remember all the, the trucks and the equipment and the thing that finally tipped me off was all the, uh, the track, the dolly track for the, the cameras. So, mm-hmm. Well, I have a personal connection with Walker, Texas Ranger. Um, as you guys know, I served, uh, I had a internship at the studios at Las Colinas uh, in, when we were in college. And we t- provided lights to the Walker set. So the Walker, so they actually had, their interiors were all filmed at a big warehouse off of Luna in Irving. Um, Luna in 635. It was a big, big flat warehouse space, and they took it and they turned it into a studio. And so you walk into this building, and uh, I'm sure now it's a cube farm for some you know, IT company. But uh, at the time, there was these big sections of uh, sets. It was just different. So like the office of the Ranger's office, the DA's office, uh, Walker's house, the porch, uh, CD's bar, all of these things were set up inside this building and so we provided lights to them so we'd go out there every once in a while we try to work it so we could go out there at lunchtime so we could take advantage of craft services because they always had steaks <laughs> uh and so we would go and like today's steak and swordfish today is steak and chicken today is steak and lobster so we'd go and have lunch and we'd we'd sit at the craft services tables with the cast and the crew and one day we went and we sat at the table and Clarence Galliard and Noble Winningham were at the table with us. And they were and Noble Winningham was telling this story. I don't even remember what the story was, but he was just being loud and he was hilarious. And everybody, the Teamsters were laughing, the 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 lighting guys were laughing, the grips and the were lighting laughing. Everybody was laughing. And then all of a sudden this nineteen year old production assistant girl barges comes out of the doors screaming the production light is on. The camera light is on. We are filming a scene and we can hear you. You have to shut up. <laughs> so uh, it was cool. Nice. We had another, had another, yeah, we had another day where we were carrying lights in and, and uh, they had Chuck Norris was set up. He actually was set up on like this little mini set and he was doing a, a promo for a casino in Mexico that he was 
uh, a spokesman for or something. And so he was doing this promo in English, but was like, oh, that's Chuck Norris. He's standing on two boxes. <laughs> I was like, that person is the shortest person I've ever seen in my life. Uh, but I was like, you know, walking right outside the, the the set, you know, where he was filming. So that was the only time I saw Chuck. But it was really cool to see uh, uh, Trivet and and CD, uh, the actors who played them. Well, fun times, fun times. That, I think maybe good. I think maybe you're too close to this one, Sean, to be in person. I think I am. I think I am. Otherwise, it's a crap show. <laughs> it's a terrible show. <laughs> well, it's Texas, but and it's Texas. It's, doing it. I was gonna say it's yeah. a. Um, I don't know. Like you say, it's it was Canon Television. It was a inexpensively made show that um, has a lot of very Texan characteristics, mm-hmm. and uh, I think it's it's worth um, visiting. You know, taking a look at just for that fact. Yeah, I agree. And and my you know, my wife said, well, we watched when I was growing up. She's a lot younger than I am, but she said when I was growing up, we watched Walker Texas Stranger on Saturday nights. It was. It was a good. It was a clean family show. It was a show that everybody in the family could sit down and have something to enjoy. And so that that's that's a good that's a positive thing. I mean, there's not a lot of TV like that today. So you have to give it that. Um, the other thing is, uh, so it's a. I, I didn't watch Conan O'Brien's show, but apparently it's a running gag on the Conan O'Brien show. Is that right? Yes, he had a, a lever that was the Walker Texas Ranger lever that would. Uh... You pull the lever and it would show a random scene from Walker, Texas Ranger. And they got away with that because it was a CBS show and they had ready access to uh, all of that uh, footage. So it was a pretty good gag because it'd be, you know, some random scene where he'd, you know, be roundhouse kicking some guy or just something weird and, and out of context. So that was a lot of fun. Nice. I just remember there was a gag on. There's a gag on Friends that was walking It's not funny. That's that's much more funny. Conan O'Brien is funny. <sighs> Television. Does it get any better? It got much better. You know, like much I better. mean, like if somebody was like, "Huh, I'm watching this," and I was like, "Yeah, well, there's no Breaking Bad. It won't blow you." Well, mind. it's it is interesting to to watch shows from. You know, this is one of the. Every time I watch an old show, like I not too long ago tried to watch uh, all the old A-Team and uh, some other stuff from the 80s. And I was like, oh, that's the 80s. It's not quite, you know, I remembered it being better. Um, but this is, you know, this is in the 90s and it still feels like the old 80s television. And I, it just made me wonder, it's like, when did TV start? Um, when did it start being good? <laughs> <laughs> well, it was, it was less than 25 years ago. Apparently. Apparently. That wraps things up for today. You can find notes and links from today's show at brainstable.com. We'd love to hear from you, so like and share us on Facebook, follow the show on Twitter at Texas Podcast, or go to brainstable.com and leave some feedback. You can find our show and many other great history podcasts at historypodcasters.com. And why not follow us individually, too? I'm on Twitter at Mr. Java. I'm Max Sean with two ends. And I'm Scotticus. You love this show? You love the Texas Rangers, even the TV shows about them. So tell your friends about what we're doing and leave a review on iTunes because that helps us to find listeners just like you. And if you'd like to support the show financially, please visit patreon.com slash texaspodcast where you too can become a come-and-take-it Texas Ranger. We hope you'll join us next time and remember that even if you aren't from Texas, 
Texas wants you anyway. <laughs>